0: week one coach prime is looking to get a statement win against last year's national title runner up jesse Minter is going to be the acting head coach for the michigan wolverines and kyle mccord is going to get the start versus indiana let's go it's the number one college football show What's up, kinfolk? folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast today. We're going to play some college football like for real this time. Not to say that your man was not absolutely glued in front of something called a peacock on Saturday afternoon to watch Notre Dame throttle Navy in the native land. And then, and then... I'm a degenerate. So I'm also watching Jacksonville State make its FBS debut versus UTEP. My God. And before we even get into any more, Caleb Williams coming out doing the damn thing, right? You already saw this, but I got to mention it right off the top. My man fumbled a snap, scrambled, and threw a 76 yard TD pass. But the person everybody started talking about was Zachariah Branch, who apparently is Tyreek Hill Light. And that was just week zero. But we on tap now. We, we back up. Starting this. Thursday, we got big time college football, but I want to start with the biggest game of the weekend for me, perhaps the biggest game of the season, depending on how you want to cut up. That is Colorado at number 17, Texas Christian, according to Associated Press. Now, in my rankings, I have Colorado at number 20 and I have Texas Christian at number 15. And while we can disagree about the numbers next to the names, everybody is showing up for prime time. And I'm over the moon about this, not just because Big Noon is down there in Fort Worth, but because that's home base for the man, Coach Prime. You'll know he didn't just make his legend as a Dallas Cowboy in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's also where he started his coaching journey as an offensive coordinator at Trinity, where his kiddo, Shador Sanders, was absolutely destroying people. Now... You could say what you want about the parochial league in Texas, but Texas high school football, be Texas high school football. And along with Shador Sanders' development has been the development and coaching of Prime, who got into this to coach his boys. And now he has his boys at Colorado, along with the number one player in the 2021 class, Travis Hunter, who believes that he's the top Heisman candidate. Yeah, I saw that too. I think he had Kayla Williams at, like, number three on the list uh, behind Shadu or Sanders. So you can already st- understand, they, they're saying bring it. We want all of it. We want all the smoke. Give us every bit of this Gilbert Arena you got. Meanwhile, Texas Christian, they know what they're up against. Even Coach Dykes is like, hey, we got to throw out our film from last year because that's just not the same football team. Literally. We have never seen the kind of makeover on a team, on a roster, in an offseason the way that we saw a makeover at Colorado. As much as I want to – Point to what Lincoln Riley did at USC, where he turned over about 46 spots on their 85 scholarship chart. We're talking about just keeping three starters from last year's Colorado team, and they might not all start. Two of those three are offensive linemen, just underscores how difficult it is to find athletic big men that can play on both sides of the ball. But among other things, they got better through the uh, through the transfer portal. And that's the reason that I have them in my top 20 stick with Colorado here for a second. They got more than seven dozen players, and many of those dudes come from programs you know. I'm talking about Kavassier Smoke from Kentucky. I'm talking about S- Savelle Smalls from Washington. Florida State, Terry McClendon. My goodness, we got Clemson on here. We got Michigan on here. We got Arkansas on here. Miles Slusher. I got to stand up, Miles. Miles from down the road. Miles from around the way. He played his ball at Broken Arrow. I'm telling y'all, man, Tulsa boys absolutely smacked. Yes, Broken Arrow, Owasso. Get on board. It's green country. You from the Tulsa Metro. You can ride with this. But Miles is one of them dudes that I always thought was going to be great. And I'm glad he's got an opportunity to play in Charles Kelly's defense. And then, I mean, we already pulling dudes from Alabama. But also, let's not sleep on the kids' door. Because I've been saying this. The way that he carries himself, the way that his work ethic has showcased itself, he's cool under pressure. He has done the winning at a high level, 70-8 and all times as starting quarterback. It's about really the assets around him, and he's got them. Travis Hunter's going to go both ways, right? Jimmy Horn Jr. is going to be out there catching passes. we Tim Brewster's going to find a uh, tight end because that's what Tim Brewster does. Remember, Kyle Pitts was a Tim Brewster product at Florida. And this is before we get to the other side of the ball, where Charles Kelly not just has Miles Slusher from the 918 stand up, he's also got Cormani McClain, who's going to be on that other side of what I think is going to be two shut down corners on that defense. I'm excited to see what they can do. And that's, man, we got Alton in McCaskill in the backfield. Like, it's a good football team. As a matter of fact, it's almost like Deion Sanders was playing fantasy football inside of college football. He's also dealing with the sport as it is. Like, this is something that I have been talking with Producer Cat about for years, quite honestly, is, RJ, talk about the sport as it is, not as you want it to be. And I think that is how Deion Sanders made his way into the sport. Remember, the transfer portal was already in when he got started coaching at Jackson State. And all he did was recruit out of it. And all he did was get a five-star and the number one player in the class to commit to play at FCS HBCU Jackson State, a place that couldn't even come up with no clean water for some time. You know what I'm saying? That's how badly dudes want to play for this man. And they got an opportunity to really put him on the map in a way that people have to respect. I think everybody's interested, right? We say intriguing when we want to be passive-aggressive in many respects, right? We say interesting. We don't say exciting. We don't say passionate. We don't say absolutely bring it every single day because that's what Prime is doing. That cowboy hat is not for show, okay? He's going to be out here like Bass Reeves getting it in. You understand me? But on the other side, let's, let's talk about Texas Christian here for a second. They got the benefit of having the best quarterback on campus last year. Start for them this year. Remember, Chandler Morris was the starter against Colorado last year. He got injured. Max Duggan comes in and puts together a Heisman finalist campaign, leading Texas Christian to a national title runner-up finish last year. Coming out of nowhere. I'm telling you, it was an RKO. You know what I'm saying? Randy Orton was proud of them, the way that they showed up, them horned frogs. I'm also excited to see Trey Sanders in that backfield, Tommy Brockermeyer on that line, and JoJo Earl at wideout. That's three Alabama transfers. That's before we talk about what Savion Williams is doing out there, or what we expect Josh Newton to do, or Bud Clark to do, and Joe Gillespie being one of the most slipped on coordinators in the entire sport. Love that man to death. I think this is going to be a really fun football game. And I think it's going to have consequences, right? One of the things that we really enjoy on this show is talking about rankings. That's what the show is about. I rank stuff. Y'all like me to rank stuff, right? This is going to directly impact my top 25 one way or another. Either Texas Christian is moving up or down. Colorado is moving up or out because there's just not that much room in our sport for losers. It's not the kind of sport like the NFL where you can go 500 and to make the playoffs. That's not what we do here. You got to put together wins, baby. You got to stack them up because two wins knocks you out of this thing called the college football playoff as it presently stands. But I'm also looking at both of these offenses, and I get giddy because I could see 2,000-yard receivers, a 3,000-yard passer, and a 1,000-yard rusher on either one of them. They're both that stacked. It's about can you keep a lid on the defense? Can you put a lid on that thing called the end zone? That three, three stack gives people problems. I'm sure Sador Sanders has been watching so much film of it. He's tired of seeing it. And we'll really see what Charles Kelly's defense looks like, but I'm really, there's no way that I couldn't be excited about this. Seeing Joe Gillespie go up against Sean Lewis, calling plays on a chess match with that volcanic bicycle that they're going to be riding right against that three, three stack and knowing what Joe Gillespie was able to do to Texas on the 40 acres and B. John Robinson last year, Again, if you're not excited about this football game, I don't know how you're a fan of the sport, but you are a fan of the sport because you're watching this show and you're a smart fan of the sport because you're watching this show. All right, now let's go to the first game on Fox's air that is basically a big noon game. Just happens on Thursday night, right? That's Nebraska at Minnesota Thursday. That is 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I'm excited about this one. It's a sturdy test for Nebraska. It's a sturdy test for a program that is looking to climb its way back, all right? Minnesota's coming off a of back-to-back nine win seasons. I mean, P.J. Fleck has that boat rowing, you know what I'm saying? Like they all doing the Viking row in the same direction. They're going to have to do it a little bit differently this season, though, because there is no Kurt Soraka, all right, he's at Rutgers now, and there is no Tanner Morgan. He's just gone, right? You're talking about Ethan Kallikmanis as a starting quarterback, who is the highest-rated quarterback that Minnesota has got in the last 10 years, Not too shabby, but he's going to have to get some help here, particularly from guys like Sean Tyler in that backfield because nobody's going to replace what Mo Ibrahim meant to Minnesota. and What he really meant to the sport, that man was outstanding as a tailback, and they leaned on him hard and heavy. That inside zone they ran with him was really difficult to stop. They're going to need Ethan to be on his best behavior and getting this ball to some playmakers out in space, which is what I think separates Minnesota from a 9-win team to a 10-11 win team. If Brevin Spanford, Chris Autumn Bell, and Daniel Jackson can get loose in patterns, Minnesota might be up to something, right? And it's a huge game in the Big Ten because that's a Big Ten West game already, right? You have an opportunity to take a lead, and I think – not I think, I know – the more open of the two divisions in the Big Ten when the, for the last time that we're going to have divisions in the Big Ten. You need to capitalize on this if you're Minnesota. Go ahead and get you a win, get yourself in position, to make a charge toward that Big Ten championship, and then give yourself an opportunity to shock the world and win a Big Ten title. I'm really interested to see what Tyler can do, especially if he can put up the kind of all-MAC numbers that he had at Western Michigan. We're talking about 146 0.8 all-purpose yards a game in particular the bane of carl spacklers everywhere might ruin a little more than your par three them golden gophers on the other side of the ball it's jeff this time baby we've been talking about him i understand the talent i've talked about the talent matt ruler talked about the talent he hadn't been able to always put it together at georgia tech but with marcus satterfield calling the shots anthony grant behind him Marcus Washington out there in patterns, probably on his Trey Palmer this year, you have an opportunity to do something really great. It's why he was number five on my list of, well, the most important newcomers 2023, because what he can do for Nebraska could mean so much. They win six games at Nebraska. They're throwing a party. I remember some time ago. That would have been cause for everybody to get fired now. No, uh, uh-uh. somebody get get the stringers out, put the party hats on. Put the candles on the birthday cake because 6-6 six and six is going to make Nebraska fans so happy. But they're going to have to come out and run the ball and stop the run against Minnesota if they expect to do that. Nebraska last year, horrible against the run. Garbage against the run. And then as the season got on, they seemed to get worse. An example of this is actually Anthony Grant, who was outstanding as a junior college running back. Shows up 2021, 20, Averages 120 yards from scrimmage a game through the first five and then falls off a cliff to just 45 from scrimmage a game. you got to be able to pound that out and make that happen over the rest of the season. Again, I'm looking at Marcus Washington as I think the best deep threat for Jeff Sims, who's also going to have to go back there and make it happen. He might have to scramble for a little while. He might have to pick up some first downs that they probably shouldn't get on some third and twelves, some third and longs of that sort. But he has the talent to really make this a game against Minnesota, and I think you're going to take that if you're Nebraska. If you're in this game in the fourth quarter with an opportunity to win it, that's a win for you. And if you can come out 1-0, and take a lead, the Big Ten West, that's found money. You know what I'm saying? You're already closer to bowling. All right, let's go from that Big Ten West showdown to what I think is the biggest game this side of Texas Christian in Colorado. That means we're playing it on Sunday. That's number five LSU versus number eight Florida State. That's Sunday. 4.30 Pacific time. That is my number 14 team, LSU, versus my number 10 team, Florida State. We could disagree about where they are ranked, but we can't all agree. This game seems to have some national title implications, if not some college football playoff implications. There are folks that believe LSU is going to show back up in the SEC championship game against Georgia, and there are folks that think that Florida State is going to walk away with the ACC title, meaning they probably get 1 or 2 O. Oh, right against Clemson on the way to doing such a thing. But this was a game that really gave us everything we wanted from a college football game, especially in a non-conference game last year when Florida state won that game. I got it right this time, 24 to 23, but LSU is going to have to play this game without Mason Smith. You've seen this. We'll just recap it very quickly. He's suspended for the game against LSU for, uh, for uh, against FSU for signing signatures basically a month before the name, image, and likeness bylaws went through. It kind of sucks because he's already hurt. He's got an ankle injury, but he was not going to be in position to help them, even if he was healthy. He's a great talent, and I think he makes them a better football team. And frankly, being able to get pass rush on a Heisman candidate like Jordan Travis, who can move around and hurt you with, with, well, his arm and his legs, that's going to be difficult for them to overcome, especially as I think the weakest part of LSU's entire roster is at corner. And it ain't as if Florida State is coming in there empty handed, along with Jordan Travis. We're talking about you're returning your leading receivers, your leading rusher, your leading sack leader. I mean, Jared versus a Bed and Eric uh, award candidate playing defensive end for them. But then that wide receiving core is so stacked. They got three dudes over six three. I mean, we got South Carolina tight end Jaheim Bell, who was outstanding on his Debo Samuels at South Carolina. And I think he's going to figure not just the tight end, but in the slot. We've also got, oh my goodness, Keon Coleman transferring in from Michigan State, who was outstanding, right? And then let's not forget Johnny Wilson, who absolutely put a pot knob on Oklahoma's head for 202 yards in the Bless God Cheese Bowl, okay? They got 6'7", 6'4", 6'3", out there. And then we can talk about Trey Benson and Jordan Travis moving around. It's stacked. They got better on the defensive side, too, when we're talking about not just Jared Virts. We're talking about Trail Cypress, who transfers in from where, uh, not West Virginia, but Virginia to play a little corner for them. I understand why people believe that Florida State is a national title caliber team for the first time since 2014, but this is the game for you to prove it. All right, this is the game for you to show once again that it wasn't no fluke what you did last year and that everybody should be betting on the Noles once again that Osceola is ready to make war like it's Creek Indians 1820s. OK, that's what you're doing right now. You got to put on for your peoples because it's been a while since we were able to talk about Florida State in a real way challenging for a national championship. As a matter of fact, I'm working on another project, which means that I've been looking at a lot of rankings over the last 10 years. And it struck me that in 2017, Florida State was ranked number four in the preseason AP poll. And by week four, they were out of it, just so we're keeping it clear. Like, at one point, we thought Florida State was going to be there. It turns out we were wrong, and a lot has changed since then. But they have an opportunity to really put themselves in the college football playoff contention right away with a big game on Sunday, the one we're all going to be watching the closest. All right, from Florida State and LSU, let's go to Florida. Number 14, Utah. That is Florida versus my number nine team. Start with Cam Rising is a game time decision to play in this game. Okay, The way that Kyle Whittingham said it is, we'll know about 10 minutes for the game, maybe seven minutes. And I'm rolling my eyes because we all know Utah without Cam Rising is not a top 25 team. That's what it is. He is so important to what they do offensively and how that team feels about itself in every game, that not having him on the field has directly affected their performance. And they're going to need him more this year than they did last year. Because we're we're talking about a guy who basically threw an interception that threw them out of the college football playoff from what I what, where I'm looking, right? If they won, won that game against Florida last year, we're really talking about Utah with a Pac-12 championship and three losses, having an opportunity to make a real argument for being in the playoff instead of just doing Ohio State the solid of kicking USC out. Now they're looking to not just win a third consecutive Pac-12 championship, but they're looking to make their first appearance in the college football playoff with a win, and I think this game could have the most to do with it. It's one of the reasons that we're all excited about it. But also in there is he's going to need help Cam Rising. It's not just that he lost Dalton Kincaid first round pick, right, to the Buffalo Bills it's that he's going to need one of these wide receivers to step up because he doesn't have one of the There isn't a top 10 wide receiver in the league playing at Utah right now. They have a chance to fix that. Micah Pittman can get on this. Emory Simmons can get on this. Money Parks can get on this, right? We're talking about Devon Valet, who had 55 catches, 695 yards, and five TDs last year. They can help him. But the guy that I think is going to benefit him the most is Brent Keithy who has never been more important to what the youths are going to do in any given season. And that's a guy who has made the pac 12, uh, all pac 12 teams three times, right? He missed a lot of last year because he had a knee injury, but he's back. He's the active leader at his position in receiving yards. I expect them to treat him a lot. Like they treated Dalton Kincaid, just feed that man as much as they can. And then in the backfield, very excited about Jaquinn Jackson. I believe one of the more slept on running backs in all the sport because he's a converted quarterback. But last year, through his last three games, right, at Utah, we're talking about 101 yards rushing on average in two TDs. You know, I really love watching a converted quarterback become a running back because we saw this with Roshon Johnson at Texas, and it worked out just fine. Same thing is happening with Jaquina Jackson, who I expect to be the bell cow back. That is not to say Michael Bernard's not going to get a bunch of touches. You're probably going to want to be interchanging with them because, well, if you got them, run them. And then we're talking about Morgan Scalley in that defense which has been historically pretty outstanding. I believe they averaged 21 and a half or excuse me 21.4 points a game given up scoring defense 2022. But they're going to have to find a way to do that without Clark Phillips. And just so we're clear, Clark Phillips was not just an All-American but he had six interceptions in 2022. It's ridiculous. I think Morgan Scalley has what he needs to put together, once again, a a pretty good defense, the kind that can keep a a lid on that mason jar that I'm calling the end zone. But this game is going to really give them an opportunity to present themselves as a playoff participant because Florida's just not that good this year. Okay? Unless Graham Mertz is showing us a version of himself that we have yet to see, the version of Graham Mertz that we saw at Wisconsin is 166 pass yards on average, 38 total TDs, 26 interceptions, and 33 total giveaways. That'll get you run out of Ben Hill Griffin quicker than the memory of Chris, Chris Leak leading Florida to the 2000 national championship. Or did Swamp King Tim Tebow do that too? I'm still salty about that. I'm still I'm still salty about that. But Graham Mertz has an opportunity to also redeem himself. He beat out Jack Miller for the job. He's gonna have Trevor Etienne in the backfield. He's gonna have Ricky Pearsall at wide receiver. They could be okay, right? Everybody believes that Billy Napier can build a winner there, right? Even in the face of what expects to be a slog for them in Gainesville this year. But you know, try telling a Tennessee fan that uh, to cry about Florida not being great. It's not gonna happen. It's really not gonna happen. Same thing with Georgia fans. Let's go from Florida versus Utah to another well big game for me. Number three, Ohio State at Indiana. That's 1230 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's my number three team also versus Indiana. And the headline, the storyline here is who's the quarterback? Now, we know Ryan Day has said that Kyle McCord is going to get the start against Indiana, but he also had said, we'll see some Devin Brown. I think the thing to take from this is not that Kyle McCord isn't that good, but that Devin Brown is that good. Because this was always Kyle McCourt's job to lose from where I'm sitting. Not just because he's the dude that's had the longest relationship with Marvin Harrison Jr., who's the best non-quarterback in the sport right now. But that he's also a five-star quarterback. And that he got the start against Akron last year and purported himself well. And we're still in the middle of a streak for Ryan Day. That is, if you started a game at Ohio State as a quarterback for Ryan Day, Whether offensive coordinator or head coach, you are a first round selection in the NFL draft. Full stop. Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, CJ Stroud. Okay. Goes just like that. And we're talking about not falling past 14, 12, I think, 12 or 14 for Dwayne Haskins, right? Other than that, you're one of the better players in the sport. The thing that I love most about this story, though, is that Ryan Day is willing to let this go for as long as he needs to, right? That's the part that we wanted to be very careful about talking about on the show is, We're going to see Kyle McCord go against what we expect to be an Indiana that is going to be up for the fight for the first three series and then Ohio State's going to do. They're going to overpower him. But I'm really interested to see who looks good running the offense, who doesn't make the mistakes, who puts them in great play positions, and frankly, who gets the ball to the wide receivers the best. I mean, it's not just Marvin Harrison Jr. out there. It's not just Emeka Ibuka out there. Julian Fleming's almost been forgotten about. And that's the number one wide receiver in the class of 2020. You know, I would love for Indiana's, uh, the game against Indiana to be the Julian Fleming game to once again, remind people that it's not uncommon for Ohio state to have three guys that could feature as number ones anywhere, right? This is becoming regular. This is what you're coming to expect from Ohio state, which at one point looked like I'm I'm not ashamed to say it between Ohio state and Michigan. I used to be bored to tears, I know that people want to run the football. I know people want to take care of the football. But a 14-year-old dude that grew up worshiping the air raid don't want to see nobody running no football 40 times. I love this version of Ohio State. I love it when a coach says, no, no, we're going to get away from basketball on grass and we're going to spread it out and we're going to go vertical. They have an opportunity to do that once again with Kyle McCord or Devin Brown at quarterback. And it's just which one is going to mesh best with the offense. Also, we're going to look at the booth. Right. Ryan Day gave hints that he might give up the play calling duties just so he is a little bit less stretched come November when it is absolutely time to crank it up and try to punch a ticket in the college football playoffs. So Does that mean Brian Hartline is going to be calling plays on Saturday? We'll see. We'll all be interested. How does that affect Ryan Day's ability as a time manager of that sideline? One of my favorite positions in the sport is offensive assistant because the offensive assistant's usually in the headset going, coach, we should probably call a timeout, right? Or giving you the situation, understanding the down and distance from a big sky point of view, not something that play calling head coaches are always good at, right? Especially play calling head coaches that are real into the offensive side of the ball and kind of don't even check in on what the defense is doing. Like they understand their lane and they let that guy basically be the head coach of the defense. I'm interested also to see how does this Jim Knowles defense respond? Now, no disrespect to Indiana, but going six and 18 in the last two years does not make you good. In fact, many of us would argue it's the opposite of good. So when I say I do not expect Jim Knowles defense to get stretched, I do not expect Jim Knowles defense to get stretched. So, If you're watching this game, the score margin is going to be very important. Again, I do rankings, right? And a lot of these rankings are derived from how do they look and what do we expect? We do not expect anything less than covering the spread for an Ohio State, even as I don't pick spreads, right? We do not expect the defense to get thrown off 300 yards. We do not expect the defense to give up a 100-yard rusher. We expect an Ohio State defense to answer the bell because we watched Notre Dame come out against Navy in Dublin, Ireland, and give up three points. Now, Navy ain't great, but also you outscored them by 39. That's what we expect because that game also is going to be one that we have circled on the calendar because the sport is not just about the teams that are going undefeated. It's about how much would we like to see uh, these two teams play again? Alabama and Georgia, Ohio State and Michigan. I can even see a Notre Dame, Ohio State, if both of those teams proved to be good. But that is in a vacuum, right? It's in a vacuum because the last game that we got to talk about is East Carolina at number two, Michigan, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Man, to be a West Coaster, 9 a.m. football. Love that. That's my number two versus East Carolina. Now, the reason this game is interesting is because Jim Harbaugh is serving a self imposed suspension of three games related to NCAA violations. We've talked about what those violations are on the show before. I will not bore you with them today. All I will say is that it is unorthodox for Jim Harbaugh. Well, I should say, we see Jim Harbaugh as unorthodox. It is regular for Jim Harbaugh to make like he did, which is to put three different assistants as acting head coaches for three different games. So Saturday, defense coordinator Jesse Mentor will be the acting head coach against East Carolina. I find this interesting because I can't recall any head coach who's also called the defense. We know lots of head coaches who call the offense, but that also speaks to just what athletic directors are looking for when they're trying to sell this to boosters. But Jesse Mentor has done more than enough to distinguish himself as one of the better coordinators regardless of which side of the ball in the sport. And I think this is a great, not just, job opportunity for him. But kudos to Jim Harbaugh, who is trying to develop his assistance in a meaningful way. Like you go to work. One of the things that you want from your manager is opportunities to learn how to do your job better and learn how to do the job in front of you. Right. That's called professional development. And I think this is peak professional development for Jim Harbaugh, allowing Jesse Minter to run this game against East Carolina to fill this out We're going to see Jack or Jay Harbaugh, not Jack, Jack's dad, Jay Harbaugh, special teams coordinator, also be an acting head coach against UNLV. And then we'll see Sharon Moore as acting head coach against Bowling Green. But we will not see Sharon Moore against East Carolina on Saturday because he will be serving a self imposed one game suspension. Now, this is interesting to me because it's not just Jesse Minter on the headset and on the defense play call sheets, it is Kirk Campbell, quarterback's coach in Michigan who's going to be calling the offense. So you also have another professional development opportunity, but you're going to have guys that are not used to being in these positions and they're not going to have the head coach and, well, the architect of the two-time Joe Moore award-winning offensive line to pull on during the game. I don't think this is going to matter in as far as the score, but I do think it's going to matter in as far as what we believe about Michigan. Because the thing that I've learned about that program, if I don't learn about any other, is it doesn't much matter who the coaches are because the players believe in Jim Harbaugh and they believe in themselves. Harbaugh can do what Saban can do. He can turn out the coordinators if he wants to, because he's done that and he'll bring in new ones. But we're also looking at a third different play caller at Michigan the last two years. And all I've done is go 25 and three up until then. I mean, remember Matt Weiss, Sharon Moore, right? Pick one if you want. And then Sharon Moore to Kirk Campbell. Hasn't much mattered because JJ McCarthy has been that good. Blake Corm's been that good. Donovan Edwards has been that good. And that offensive line might, once again, be the best damn offensive line in the sport. They go seven deep in one class. Jim Nagy said it on this show. It would not shock him to see all seven guys get drafted in 2024. And he, who's been doing his job as an NFL scout for 20 years, has never seen something like that. Also, dude, that, you know, not only was around Tom Brady at Michigan, it was around Tom Brady at New England. He understands what offensive line play is supposed to look like. I also think Michigan is in a very cool position right now because it's not just coming off the of two back-to-back Big Ten championships. I'll also absolutely stick in your finger in my eye last year, but you give the Big Ten its best opportunity to win a national title in 20 years. Think about that. We got to go back to O2 Ohio State. That's how long it's been since this proud conference has won it. Oh, excuse me. We got to go back to 2014. Since the last time that this proud conference has won a national championship, so I'm looking at this and I'm going. The Big Ten is pretty much leaning on Michigan or Ohio State as they have been, but then you got a Penn State who's lurking. We feel good about Minnesota, who's won the third most games of anybody in that conference, other than Ohio State, and Michigan, and this is this is a proven year, right? Because Oklahoma, Texas is going to join the SEC, Alabama has turned over its coordinators and many people don't believe that they're going to win the sec championship georgia seems to be the dominant team not just in the sport but in that conference and then it's kind of a shakeup. now are we going to see ohio state michigan back in the playoff again it's highly unlikely but since it happened once it could happen again right and depending on what you see out of iowa minnesota wisconsin penn state we could be looking at a very strong big 10 once again that's before i start talking about what the bottom might look like like Maryland is a middling team. I remember nobody cared about what Maryland was doing. Now you better watch your back because Mike Loxley's team might jump up B5 and 0 by the time they get into the thick of their Big Ten play. So outside of those games, there's many others that we're going to talk about. We will do a live show on Saturday night, our first of the season. Very excited about that. Well, We'll recap the day where we will probably do a, a brief preview of my college football rankings headed to Monday, because remember, we got a game on Sunday, and I am loath to put out rankings before Florida State and LSU play, but we will do that. We'll also probably get a real read for not just who the pretenders are, but who the teams are that we still expect to do some proving along the way, because, you know, non-conference schedules being what they are, I mean, Michigan's playing East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, okay? We're not really going to know much until we start Big Ten play, so I'm going to have to hold my water in as far as How I am uh, taking a look at these teams. And I hope you will too, because we're only getting started, baby. It's week one. And we get to do this for at least 14 more weeks. And then we're playing for national championships. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. In the chair, producer, Catherine Karaji. Hello. What's up? Kiara Santana is our production assistant. Our social media maven is J.V. I'm Duncan. My goodness, Jack, Co- Jack Coakley, and Torin Westfall are our leads of screening. I'm the host, R.J. We will see y'all Saturday night.